0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment Featuring a round table of dominion women Seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's word Fearlessly and faithfully In all callings and seasons of life Both in and out of the home Reversing the curse And smashing pagan strongholds
1: He said, she said, how can we get to the truth, and how do we respond when we just can't get to the truth? On today's episode, I'll be discussing the ethical judicial approach to these questions in a politically charged climate of fiercely defended tribes. I'm Elizabeth, and this is the Monstrous Regiment. Um, I'm going to level with all of you guys. Today's episode is not going to be what I originally envisioned when I first planned it. Uh, As as I was originally scrolling through my feed, just reeling and outraged by what it felt to me like just grotesque comments and heartless and hopelessly naive comments from friends and strangers alike, even from some of the most brilliant minds of my acquaintance who I respect the most. Uh, I was hurt and I was fighting off the cringing shame that wants to revisit people like myself who have been assaulted and others um, with the same, same kinds of experiences I've had when we see these kinds of things said, which could just as much apply to us as they could to whoever is being demonized by those people at the moment. Um, But more than that, my rational mind was deeply offended in the truest sense of the world. Um, Not just an emotional reaction, but in the sense of being unable to abide the rampant fallacy of what I was seeing. Um, The inconsistent and misapplied principles and the tribalism that seems to always prevail among us all however much we think we've escaped it. Um, At that time, I had a fire in my belly, and I wanted to take every objection one by one and just decimate it. But I waited too long. I tried too hard to plan it. I mulled over it for too long. I discussed it at too much length, and I guessed and second-guessed myself too much and lost confidence in ever being able to make any real difference as I saw how deeply entrenched we all are in our own loyalties. Nevertheless, I am setting my face like Flint, and I won't let that feeling of discouragement or hopelessness win. Um, I know I don't have all the knowledge and all the answers any more than any of you do, but I can show up, and I can say what I believe, and I can hope it means something to someone. So I'm here to do what I set out to do, but this is an altogether more sober, more grieved, and more heartbroken version of this episode than I had originally planned, with one of, and one with a more narrow focus. Please bear with me where I am weak, and forgive me where I am wrong, and let me uh, and let's not give up hope that somehow, some way, if we press on together, we will one day all be of one heart and mind regarding matters that are so close to the heart of God. Um, I apologize that I'm sitting here in a badly lit room with no makeup and frizzy hair, but uh, if I keep finding reasons to delay this episode, I know I'm never going to do it. <laughs> um, I'm going to risk the inevitable fallacious accusations that I always get of imposing my experiences onto every situation um, and I'm gonna go ahead and begin with a bit of my own testimony like I'm Sorry, I keep tossing my head. My hair is in my eyes Like most women I have been sexually assaulted or harassed on numerous occasions But today I'm gonna only share two of those experiences that are the most relevant to what has been on all of our minds and has been dominating all of our feeds this past few weeks and months Um, Neither of the men I'm about to talk about, as far as I know, are famous, wealthy, or particularly powerful in any way. And yet I'm still feeling quite anxious about uh, revealing this publicly right now, so bear with me. Um, The first account I'd like to share is when I was in high school. Um, His name was Shane. I won't say his last name now. But if he ever runs for office or any other position of influence, and I decide to expose the character I knew of him as a boy... No one can say that I had never mentioned it before. Uh, We were in PE class together. The required uniform in that PE class was a baggy T-shirt and baggy cotton shorts. They were all the same for boys and girls. There's nothing particularly um, flattering or seductive about anything that we were wearing. Um, I don't really know why he was in PE class because I really feel like I remember that he was in sports, which would have exempted him from that, but uh, I didn't know him socially, so I really can't say, um, but I do know that he was very large. He had the body of a full-grown man, um, and I suspected steroids at the time, but I don't really know. You can't really say with, men, uh, with boys that age because they mature at such different rates, but that's why I thought he was in sports, but now that I look back on it, I can't remember why he was in PE class with me when he... Uh, Seems to have clearly been some kind of athlete. But um, what I do remember is that I started wearing tank tops every day under my shirt because every time that we did push ups in class, um, he would look down my top and make just horrible, repulsive sounds. Um, this is in full view of the entire class, in full view of my teacher. Um, my teacher was aware, but she would not let me move to another spot where he couldn't do that. Um, I remember that I hated going to class. I dreaded it more than anything, but it never occurred to me that it was not just a normal part of high school, a normal part of being a girl. Um, And I never thought it was anything I could do anything about, um, especially since my teacher didn't do anything about it. Um, And I still didn't think that even when he took both my arms like this and pinned me to the the, um, chain link fence outside when I don't know why we we're outside but we were having some kind of outside class um, and proceeded to assault me in full view of the whole class and in full view of the teacher um, those kinds of things that was not the only time he did that he proceeded to do that on a regular basis um, I did try to tell the teacher when it proceeded to that point and she just laughed and she said oh Shane leave Elizabeth alone Um, he did not leave me alone until I met and started dating the next person I'm going to mention who would eventually be my ex-husband I don't know if he stopped bothering me at that point out of like fear of conflict or um, if it was some sort of like male-to-male courtesy but for whatever reason as soon as I started dating um, Josh the person I would eventually marry and um, this harassment did immediately stop, but until then it never did and the, and uh, nobody did anything about it um, and so my perception of this at the time was that it was just normal. Um, I before I was started high school, I was a sheltered like a very very sheltered homeschooled church girl um, so everything in high school was shocking to me. Um, I had no way of filtering the sort of criminal shocking from just the general immorality around me I you know I had grown up in a completely different environment and I was also coming from a place where um, I had recently become very disillusioned with my religious environment and I had decided that um, all of their values are extremely hypocritical um, which in the case of the people I had experienced it largely was the. Uh, I mean they were hypocrites the values weren't hypocritical. And so I didn't really know, I didn't really have any um, basis that I trusted for judging what was normal and expected to happen and what wasn't. Um, in, in my sort of adolescent brain, I just didn't, um, I concluded that this was part of how people, Worldly people acted in that. That that is what I would have to um, live with. And I learned, like a lot of um, people do, to just sort of not just with girls, all girls learn this, but also um, any anybody who's been bullied in any way kind of learns that. A lot of times you just laugh and you pretend that you like it, and you pretend that it's funny, and you pretend that um, you're cool and you get it. Um, Um, I remember everything about how this made me feel. I remember being pinned up against that fence and I remember being feeling extremely powerless and, uh, and, um, extremely humiliated. Um, but I don't remember what day of the week it was. I don't remember whether we had that class in the afternoon or the morning. I don't remember why we were outside or what we were learning. Uh, I don't remember what time of year it was except for that. I don't think we were wearing jackets Um, I definitely don't remember anything I ate that day or even what I liked to eat typically for lunch during that school year. I don't remember which group of friends I used to hang out with during that year. Um, I only even know which year of high school it was because I remember that I started dating the man I would eventually marry that year and that's what made the harassment stop. Um, but I do remember every everything about the moment of, and how it felt when it was happening um, and I remember the only other I don't remember who else was in the class but I remember one this one skinny kid named Colt who, who was one of my neighbors and he was one of the only people he was the only person who tried to stand up for me in that situation um, the other significantly relevant encounters that I want to open up about here were in my marriage. Um, I'm the kind of person who feels very, very uncomfortable talking openly about these kinds of things, but just for context, I was not a cold or a frigid wife. Um, My husband was not deprived, nor it turns out would he have been had I been depriving him um, because of the other aspects of his lifestyle that I wasn't aware of at the time. But he, what he was and what he still is, as far as I know, is the kind of man who feels entitled to whatever he wants always, um, and who is always very focused on establishing his dominance in every situation. Um, he used to, um, hold me down and tickle me or otherwise manhandle me playfully. He would grab my face and force it to make expressions that he found amusing. Uh, it sounds cute, but it wasn't, um, uh, he, uh, once when I was, um, about nine months pregnant with my son, wrestled me to the ground and gave me what he called a snow bath, uh, as revenge for throwing a snowball at him. And it was all allegedly a joke. If I complained, he would say, can a man joke with his wife? And I know it might sound like he was really was being playful and I'm overreacting. Um, and that's one of the things that was so subtle about the way that he used to treat me and the way he treats everyone. But, um it wasn't just playful because he wouldn't stop when I asked him to and when I said you know at the time I believed that he was a good man and that he loved me and he just didn't understand how he was making me feel so I would say you know I know you would never really want to hurt me but you don't understand how powerless and humiliated I feel when you pin me down like that and I can't move my arms and I can't move my head and I have I'm completely at the mercy of whatever you you know at your whim and I just have to believe that you're not going to hurt me Um, and I have no power over it myself and and saying that had absolutely no effect it didn't stop him and it didn't stop him from doing it again in the future Um, now I understand that I was drawing him sort of a roadmap of how to hurt me and I understand that he's the kind of person that enjoys hurting people but I didn't know that then Um, it it wasn't playful Um, It can sound playful and he described it as playful but when you're in the moment with someone like that it's a display of power. It was always a punishment. It was always um, a way of um, getting back at me for saying something he didn't like or for making him feel a way he didn't like and it was meant to put me in my place and make me feel small and stupid and embarrassed and it did do all of those things. Um, But that's sort of um, plot exposition I guess none of that is what I really want to tell you um, I'm just putting off what I really want to say because um, I, I hate talking about it and um, and because I'm a little nervous that he'll see this somehow and even now make me pay somehow um, what I really want to tell you well what I really need to tell you about um, is what he would do to me when he thought I was asleep um, and sometimes uh possibly when I actually was asleep but I don't know Um, no matter how because of because of his personality no matter how gentle I was no matter how much I tried to be careful with his ego um, he is not someone who takes rejection well for any reason even if it was illness or tiredness or even if I just didn't want to leave the kids unsupervised when they were young Um, So sometimes if I really, really just wanted to go to sleep, I would pretend that I was asleep. So as to spare his feelings and to avoid a guilt trip, um, as well as to spare myself um, from things I didn't want to do. And um, me being asleep turned out to be no impediment to him at all. He would still do whatever he wanted to me. Um, and at that time, in the mindset that I was in in that time, I felt very ashamed for pretending to be asleep, even though now I recognize that that's a legitimate defense mechanism from somebody who doesn't respect any kind of boundaries. Um, at the time, I felt so ashamed of it, and I felt like it was dishonest. And so um, in my mind, I couldn't confront him about the things that he did because uh, without you know, any kind of consent in any way, shape, or form, because um, then I would have to admit that I had only been pretending to be asleep, and I thought that that was just as bad as what he had done. And I had this cognitive dissonance because my whole foundational presuppositions about what my life was, what my marriage was, what the kind of person that I was sharing my home with, and I had built my whole family on these presuppositions, and uh, and I was so deeply invested in them. And that's something to keep in mind about what we're gonna get to later um, um, I could not um, my whole my whole foundational starting point was I'm married to a good man he loves me, and I just couldn't let myself contemplate things that uh, the things that really were happening um I couldn't let myself believe that they were what they seemed to be. I kept casting around for some other way of interpreting it, and even though this makes no sense, I would put it out of my mind altogether when I couldn't figure out a way to process it or categorize it. I I very, very clearly remember thinking to myself, if I didn't know better, I would think this was rape, or technically that was rape, but he can't realize that. Um, I did know better. I mean those those justifications make no sense if something is technically rape then it's rape there's no techni- there's no such thing as technically rape but I don't know how to explain it I was just clinging pathetically kind of to the world I wanted to believe I had built and I could continue to and I did continue to cling to it for many more years and tell myself many more lies that it's just like ridiculously embarrassing to repeat but somehow I made them make sense in my own mind um, Uh, What I don't remember about this, I don't remember um, what kind of nights that occurred dawn. I don't remember if we'd been fighting or if we'd been getting along well. I don't really remember how often it happened. Um, I don't remember if it happened in every house we ever lived in. I don't remember which sheets were on the bed. I don't remember what I was wearing to bed. Um, I don't remember any of the events of the days surrounding it. All I remember is that sometimes I would fake a panic attack and I would flail my arms around and I would cry out um, to make it stop because I didn't want it to continue but I didn't want to admit that I was really awake. So the panic was real, but I pretended to be incoherent because I was afraid to admit that I was really asleep. Um, All I remember is that the ways I would try to explain it to myself later and how confused and ashamed I felt. I don't remember any of the circumstances around it other than that. I cannot even begin to prove any of this. Um, It all happened many years ago. None of it could be prosecuted in court now. And really, I don't think most of it could have been at the time. I don't think there was sufficient evidence then of a sufficiently serious crime that could have been prosecuted in any way that would actually have brought any kind of criminal penalties on anyone. Um, I think it would be a miscarriage of justice to criminally penalize either of these men based on what I was just able to tell share with you guys Um, All of it is relevant to their character and all of it I would say publicly as the character witness if one of them were to pursue some sort of position of influence Um, There's nothing I can do to prevent them to doing it to others because I can't criminally prosecute it Um, I'm positive at least one of them has done so to others Uh, I know that my ex-husband hasn't changed in his character um, I know nothing about the other person who would now be an adult man obviously. Um, I He may be a very good man at this point, he may look back with shame and remorse on the way he used to treat girls over 20 years ago, um, and maybe he would never dream of doing the same thing again now, but I'd still tell if it became necessary and I'd let him demonstrate that change of heart and lifestyle. Um, I am not lying. I am not making a false report. I am not slandering. I am not bearing false witness. Even though I can't prove all of this, I'm not doing any of those things because this did happen and it is true. Um, all of this really happened, and there's no reason to disbelieve me. Even if there's no reason to convict any of them, um, I cannot prove uh, because I cannot prove any of it. No one should go to jail for it, and no one can be justly punished by it for in human courts for it. Um, but, you know, there will be. There will be justice, but we can't execute it as human beings because there's no way to prove any of it. Um, And neither should I be punished for saying it or talking about it. Uh, Neither would it be just to prosecute me for saying it without evidence when I am not knowingly making a false report. And that is really what I'm here to talk about today. That is why I shared all of that with you um, to help us sort through the ways we can and cannot go about evaluating these kinds of claims. The context in which we must demand proof before we can act and the context in which we may follow our own feelings and our own intuition are not the same. Um, I hate that these men I mentioned got away with what they did and are still free to do it to others. And I have zero desire to live in a society where they could lose their life, their liberty, or their property based solely on what I just said about it. Nor do I want to live in one where I have to keep the truth of what happened buried inside of me and am prohibited from telling my own stories about my own life just because I can't prove them. We simply can't. Not that we must not or may not. It's literally impossible for, for humans to all treat other human interactions like they were all criminal trials. Um, we know this. We all know this. No one wouldn't warn their friend or neighbor about the guy who tends to lurk creepily around the playground for no apparent reason, even if you couldn't or wouldn't call the police on someone who's just spending time on public property. No one wouldn't warn their friend about the boyfriend with the wandering eye, even if they had never caught him in the very act. No one screams innocent until proven guilty if someone complains that their babysitter raided the liquor cabinet and invited her boyfriend over, even if it's not a crime and even if it might ruin her babysitting business. Of course not, because spotless reputations are not human rights, and no one is entitled to a particular job or entitled to not have people treat them with weariness. False allegations, ninth commandment, Violations are wicked, and I believe criminal ones are crimes, although I'm not sure. Um, certainly, biblically, they are crimes. And when it comes, it, when it can be proven that a false accusa- allegation has been made, they ought to be punished uh, by the same measure that the accused would have been. That's in Deuteronomy 19, but what it also says in Deuteronomy 19 is that it has to be searched out that the person was making a false allegation. It's not just simply if someone... If the allegation isn't proven, we assume it's false. You have to have evidence before you punish either party that they actually are guilty of something, not just that the other person isn't necessarily guilty of it. Um, what we can never do is jump to the assumption of guilt on either side when the matter is a criminal one or when some human rights are at stake. We can never put someone in jail without due process. We can never um, either for assault or for making an allegation of assault Um, and we cannot treat people as though they ought to have been put in jail when we have not followed any kind of due process to draw that conclusion for ourselves Um, what we can do and should do and can't help but to do is to draw our own personal conclusions about what we support or who we support politically who we trust with our children who we marry who we date who we allow around our children We must use our own judgment based on whatever information there is available and how trustworthy we think the source of it is when we make our own personal decisions. And we don't need to demand full courtroom evidence from every person who is a personal witness to us of someone else's character. What we must stop doing is trying to silence anyone who offers character testimony in ways we don't like or that make us uncomfortable. What we are really saying when we say this is not that we hate false allegations, we are saying we hate allegations at all. We want vulnerable people, whether they are women or racial minorities or children or employees or whatever it is that's in the most vulnerable position, to not be allowed to say anything they can't prove because we don't want to know what their lives are like. We don't want to know what their experience. We don't want them to puncture our little fantasy worlds. We want them to shut up about not having any bread and go eat some cake. If it was false accusations we were concerned about, we would be pressing for investigations where innocent people could clear their names and the guilty ones, including those who are guilty of false reporting, could be punished. If we wanted harsher punishments against those who make false allegations to act as a deterrent to others, like the Bible calls for, then we would be fighting to establish harsher punishments for people who make false allegations. What we actually fight for shows what we actually value, and what I see many people fighting for Uh, is for no one to make any allegations at all, criminal or otherwise, carrying any accompanying punishment or otherwise, uh, unless they can absolutely prove it beyond any doubt before any investigation takes place, which is the opposite of how time and space work. We want them to have already benefited from an investigation before they are allowed to say anything to prompt one because really we just don't want to know we don't want it to be true, so we fearmonger about an epidemic of good men being ruined by false accusations, when statistically there is no evidence of this epidemic in order to prevent people, and not only women, from talking about an epidemic that statistically is enormously common, which is sexual assault. We are not fighting for due process. We are trying to stifle due process to preserve a false narrative of the world we want to be living in because the one we do live in is terrible to contemplate because of our political affiliations, because of tribal loyalties, because we have put our faith in chariots. Because we have made enemies of flesh and blood instead of, of every lofty idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Because we want our team to win and the other team to lose. And we have forgotten what the weapons of our warfare are. We've forgotten who the enemy actually is. And we have mistaken his hostages of war that we are commissioned to rescue from him. And we have treated them as though they are him and we have said for the greater good and used it to justify shortcuts past simple faithful obedience to god's law which says that we should weigh a matter every matter that we should never use our uh, unbalanced measures which the lord hates when we start from our alliances or affiliations and proceed to make the truth conform to those instead of the other way around Instead of following the evidence and trusting God to sort out the truth, we lean on our own understanding instead of acknowledging him. And when we think this can't be true because to this man, this agenda, this party, this movement, I have pinned my hope for the greater good. You make for yourself little torches, which in Isaiah, God says, um, our reward for trying to light our own way is that we lie down in torment. Yes, there are those who hate the truth of God and hate those who try to advance it. Yes, there are those who lay traps for the righteous. Yes, those people are just as likely to be women as not. There is no gender, no race, no party, no tribe whose members have less sin nature than others, even if they do have uh, more history of oppression or are currently in the more vulnerable situation than others. That doesn't make them invulnerable to sin or any more virtuous than anybody else. It is not that there are no pits being laid, it it is that the way to avoid them is never to imitate the deviousness of those we oppose. It is always to have the reckless faith of a little child, which is really the least reckless and most pragmatic thing in the world, if it is held together as it is by the real and living God. To abandon principle, to leap to judgment, to call one person wicked with no evidence and an attempt to defend another person also with no evidence, based on which team colors they are wearing, is to be faithless. God has shown us what is good. He has told us what to do. He has told us to examine all things, to test all matters, to show grace and compassion for the oppressed and the vulnerable, to never show partiality. He did not say, unless it's a Democrat. When we scream, no man is safe if anyone is permitted to merely tell their stories, even while we elect Donald Trump, even while we do everything we can to show that in every way that we can think of, that not only do will we not withdraw support from those against whom others bring a bad character witness, but we will aggressively and doggedly support them, even if they don't actually stand for a single thing we believe in, just despite the liberals. When we excuse them, even if it's true, by saying that boys will be boys or that it was really no worse than stealing a lawnmower, we are really saying that we value the reputations of the powerful over the bodies of the vulnerable. When we, the religious right, who are pathologically consumed with sexual purity, suddenly begin talking about sexual violations like they are mere handshakes, like they have no real impact, like... People can brush them off like smaller, weaker, or more vulnerable people can just put their foot down and keep them from happening. We are the farthest thing from causing anyone to hear our decrees and say, surely this is a wise and discerning people. When we do this, we militate against the very goals we are sacrificing all of our principles to pursue. Why does anyone ever think we can create a society where abortion is unthinkable by neglecting justice and compassion? By not trusting outcomes to God, we claim to serve. That faithlessness is the very root of abortion to begin with, not trusting God with outcomes. What I didn't mention at the beginning of this, when sharing my personal testimony, is the stories I have from the other side of the equation where I have been falsely accused. I've been falsely accused um, of immorality. There are people currently walking around, uh, taking every opportunity they can to call into question my sexual virtue. Um, I have also been falsely accused of serious crimes. I've been false, falsely accused of kidnapping my own children. Um, the former did cost me greatly in my reputation among those who listened to it and believed it. Um, I lost most of my friends. I lost my church. I lost them, almost everyone I know in the town where I live, and there was nothing I could do about the malicious slander at all. But I'm not ruined, because not getting everything that I wanted or hoped for is not being ruined. The latter accusation didn't really cost me anything because there was no evidence for it. And no matter what narrative we're trying to sell currently because it serves our purposes, it is not common to criminally prosecute people for things when there is zero evidence that they did them. Not everyone is so lucky. Some people are falsely penalized for things that they did not do criminally. And some people lose more than I have when they have been falsely accused of things morally that hurt their reputations. But but that is not the common outcome of either of those cases. Um, but in e- but either way, we cannot pro- base our protocol on outcomes we fear, especially when the outcomes we fear are the minority outcomes, and the outcomes, uh, the alternative are much much more statistically common. But also, especially ever, because we are the people of God, and we don't make uh, we don't use situational ethics. We don't make pragmatic decisions. We obey. Uh, we must always base. Our protocol for looking and examining the truth on consistent ethical principles. Um, those, Those principles in general are simple. Listen. Do not punish anyone without evidence. Do not disbelieve anyone without evidence. Proceed to confirm or disprove claims after listening. If there is enough evidence, prosecute. If it is not a criminal matter and not up for prosecution, but a matter of private judgment, then draw the best conclusion you can and act on your conscience. Cast your vote, hire or don't hire, marry or don't marry, But but do not speak as though you know things that you cannot know. Do not grasp and clutch at reasons to believe the thing you want to believe when those things are not rationally supportable or fairly applicable to all situations because you do so at the expense of the vulnerable who are listening and hearing themselves demeaned along with whatever human being you have made an enemy of at this time. This means stop appealing to the number of years that someone waits to tell their story. There is no excuse to remain ignorant about the numerous valid reasons that people do this. Be slow to speak and be quick to listen. Remember that nobody, nothing is only about what it's about. When you call one woman a liar for waiting too many years to tell her story, other women and girls are listening. When you call one young man lucky to have been groomed and raped by his teacher, other young men are listening. Remember the lesson of the story of Joseph that so many are so eager to appeal to right now without noticing the very elements of power and vulnerability at play, which run directly contrary to the narrative they're selling. Remember that that which was intended for evil, God uses for good in the lives of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Seek justice for all parties. Remember that you don't have to start from a disbelief of anyone to pursue the truth. The particulars of how this looks in in each situation can be complex, but that's really all the principle of the matter comes down to. Here's my exhortation to it, all: Let's lay down our team jersey and pick up the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Let's stop worshiping the letter next to the name of some man or woman in a suit representing one or the other corrupt wing in a totally corrupt system, and instead let's start loving justice and mercy, walking humbly with our God. Let's leave the situational ethics for those who have no God and let's start wanting to rescue those image bearers from their godless condition instead of sitting with Jonah under that shrub longing for their destruction. And in so doing, let's actually bring to utter destruction every idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God, including political idolatry and our own pragmatic judgment. Thanks for listening. I know this was a bit of a ramble. I opted for discussing the matter in a broader sort of principle instead of answering specific objections in order to keep this short and um, more accessible, but I do hope to have a sort of clean, clear, concise, and very specific blog post addressing uh, things point by point, which hopefully will either accompany the airing of this episode or follow it shortly. Um, I will include some links to the statistics that I've made reference to. Um, Even though as a homeschooling mom, I kind of want to make you find them yourself. Um, I appreciate you tuning in.
0: Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners.